0: Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer!
1: Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. What a champion becomes a legend! McCarty Debra has won it!
0: Perkins goes in first. What a legend.
1: What a champion.
0: Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. And what a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. And today we celebrate the life of a very special Australian sports person. Yes, he is an Olympic champion. Yes, he has been a world champion on multiple occasions. But he has a special place in history as far as the Olympic Games and Australia is concerned. My guest today is the only Australian ever to compete. In seven Olympic Games and his name is Andrew Hoy and I'm delighted to have him in the studio. Andrew, welcome. It's wonderful
1: to be here, thank you. How long are you in town for? In uh, Australia until the 22nd of November, arrived on the 1st of November and so um, 22 days of which, um, 22 days too short I would say. I, I thoroughly enjoy being here in Australia. Um, If I could extend it longer, it would get me out of the UK winter, which uh, (laughs) would give me much delight. And I have to say I'm not in the United Kingdom because of the weather. I'm only there because of my job and my sport.
0: Does it have to be that way, that your sport, the equestrian sport, has to be someone
1: who's based in Europe if you're going to do it to the top level? Look, you don't have to be, but I made the decision in... 1993 after uh, the australian team of which i was part of had success in the 1992 barcelona barcelona olympics where we won a team gold medal up until that point of when i started my international career at the in 1978 at world championships through until 92 i was farming in australia i was um riding my horses as um, a hobby and part-time, albeit that I was riding at an international level. I was doing it from Australia. I was suffering mental and physical overload because, uh, number one, farming is a tough life. Uh, Number two, if you want to be successful in a sport, um, it is just hard work. And so I was combining the two. And then in 93, I thought, all right, if... If I want to be successful in the sport, I need to take it up full time. And at that point in time, I felt that, and I would say it still is the hub of the sport, my sport of eventing, Uh, it is in the United Kingdom. I can do competition, competing competition, every weekend from the beginning of March through until the end of October, and that's every weekend and also midweek and so there's a lot of events that I can go to and I can just keep competing at top level as well as bringing young horses on to do it here from Australia you can do it but you just do not get the level of competition and also you do not get the international fields that you would get in Europe as you as um that you can get you cannot get them here that you can in in Europe. And so that was my reason for moving to the United Kingdom. I wanted to be at the pointy end of the sport. I felt I needed a true evaluation of where I actually stood on a a daily and weekly basis. And so therefore, there's only one way to do it, and that's to put yourself in where the top people are. Just one further
0: point about that. Is it easier to Get access to quality horses when you're in Europe as well. Does that make the selection a little bit broader than it would be if you were here?
1: I think what you, um, I, I really believe that you have quality horses here in Australia. There's there's quality horses that come out of every country, so to speak. And when I say every country, I mean in Europe, um, also here in Australia, New Zealand, there are quality horses. You can go to America and get quality horses as well. Like if if you go to somewhere like Thailand or Singapore or somewhere like that, you might be able to find some horses that could be good, but you then don't have the competition to be able to continue their, their training and competition program. And so therefore you're very restricted. I would say that here in Australia, there are quality horses and there are quality trainers and, and coaches that you can work with. But the thing is you, you just do not have the exposure at all levels with top riders and, that you can have in Europe. You don't quite have that here. When you come back, you obviously visit family. I think your mum and dad are still going pretty well. Yes, my parents um, have been uh, with me uh, some of the time that I've been um, been in Melbourne. And so that's absolutely wonderful. My dad's 94. He's still very actively farming at Colcane, where I um, I grew up. And uh, my mum at the age of 92, she's still very active as as well. And I bet they're very proud of their son. Have have you given them some memento, some
0: maybe a medal that you've won or or something you've won along the way that takes pride of place in their household?
1: Um, Interesting question. I've only 15 months ago become a a parent. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. And um, Stephanie, my wife and I, we had a, a little girl and we called her Philippa and uh, the way it's spelled is actually with one l and two p's and that means friend of the horse and um since having philippa i cannot explain the joy that it's actually given me to have an, a child and the the moments that i have with her are just very very special and she's here in australia with stephanie and myself And um, every day that um, she's awake, there's just a new experience, there's a new development. But to go back to your question, have I given my parents memento? When I go to um, my parents' home, I do see... A gold, not gold as in solid gold, but gold as in gold plated um, horseshoe of a horse called Kiwi that I actually rode he I rode him at Barcelona in the Olympics. There is a really nice plaque underneath the the horseshoe where it 's m- mounted on some a piece of red gum um, and that's very special. I see that I also see photo a photograph of um the show jumping um that um was taken in nineteen eighty four at Los Angeles, the first Olympics that I actually rode in. And so there are those mementos and um and there are other things within the house. But um the <clears throat> I think that um the pleasure that my parents obviously receive from seeing what I'm doing is enormous. And, um, I've only realized that since becoming a father and it, it, for me, it gives me a whole different perspective on, on life and albeit that I'm still, um, uh, want to really be at the pointy end of the sport. There is, when I have a bad day or a bad moment or I start to get upset with myself over something that I haven't quite ad- achieved and then my daughter runs around the corner. This just brings a smile to my face and makes me feel so um, so privileged to have a healthy young, young girl.
0: I've spoken, Andrew, to a lot of late-in-life fathers over the years, and they say it's even a better experience because they've lived a lot of their life not knowing whether they're going to be a father or not, and so they cherish the moment. Would you say that that mm. sort of sentiment sits well with what you're doing at the moment?
1: Oh, absolutely. And um, I know people People said to me before Philippa arrived, Andrew, this is going to be one of the most special moments of your life. And I thought, well, I, I, like, I don't know. like I've been very privileged with what I've done. I've traveled the world with my sport, of which I absolutely love, and it's now my job. And I've represented Australia at World Championships, Olympic Games, and I've had success at Olympic Games. And That's something that a lot of people never get the opportunity of doing and it's a very small percentage in the world that actually get to Olympic Games, let alone win a medal. And so I was a little unsure about how special the moment was going to be because, as you just said, I've lived a lot of these very special moments. But then when Philippa arrived, it was just extraordinary the, the, the feeling that I had for her. And I've said to Stephanie, um, my wife that you know, the love for Philippa is unconditional and it doesn't matter if I have a very much interrupted sleep in the, in the evening. That's, that's something that, just doesn't worry me. I just would like to see my daughter have the opportunity in life, no matter what she does. If she never wants to sit on a horse, I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's just, for me, important that she picks up and runs with something in life that she enjoys doing, and I will give her the support that I can possibly give.
0: I guess the likelihood is, though, that she probably will be involved with horses because in the first, how old is she now, 13 months? 15 months. 15 months. In the first 15 months of her life, I'm sure she's already had a lot of experience with horses, and that comfort comes straight away because a lot of people never touch a horse until their adult life, and some never actually get to touch one. She's going to grow up, and it's going to be a part of her life from the word go.
1: This is correct. And I, it was interesting, like 12 months ago when I was out here in Australia, I was, um, a guest of, uh, the Victorian racing club and, um, in the committee room when Gay Waterhouse was actually being interviewed. And, um, it was said to, to Gay is to, all right, like she followed in her father's footsteps of being a racehorse trainer. And her father said to her, no, you look, you shouldn't do this. This is a, this is a tough job. And, and she said, but when I, when she actually sat there at breakfast and she listened to her dad talking to the jockeys, talking to other trainers, talking to race officials, talking to people within the industry, she said that she just picked up on all of these conversations. Now, the fact that Philippa this year has been to America twice to see me ride – The fact that she was in France like one week before we came out to Australia to see me ride there, she's just in that environment. And just being in an environment in the equine industry, she just automatically will pick up on these things. And I think what a privileged young lady she is to be able to travel the world with her parents because, number one, it's it's my job riding and competing around the world. Number two, her mother has a business in Germany, has her own business of where she's got a German office and a UK office, and so she travels across to Germany um, on many occasions, um, spends time with her grandparents in, in Germany on Stephanie's side of the family, and also we've realized that we need a nanny to help us get through our day so that we can continue what we are doing and her nanny is British, but she was born in France and so speaks <laughs> to her in French and Stephanie <laughs> speaks to her in German. I speak to her in English. Yeah. So it's, it's something very, very special to just have this multicultural um, environment. A wonderful life experience from
0: almost the moment that life began for it. You talked about being at Flemington with Gay Waterhouse. I think the last time I bumped into you was at Flemington, and I think you brought the Melbourne
1: Cup in one year, did you not? Yes, I did indeed. I um, I brought the, the Melbourne Cup um, along the straight, and I can remember that experience very clearly because... Um, There was a horse that was used in the man from snowy river that i actually used and his the horse's name was sam and sam was 25 years of age and when i um the lovett family from mansfield they brought the horse to me and i was taken to the top of the straight and um, they said oh look this is sam and you'll be riding him and he's 25 years of age and I could see that his girth was a little loose. And I said, oh, do you mind if I just do the girth up? And they said, well, yeah, but just be careful. And I said, why is that? And they said, well, he's a little bit inclined to bite. He's quite sensitive around the girth anyway. I was not convinced that I was wanting to get on with the girth as loose as it was. Mm. So I went to do it up and Sam turned round and nearly took my, the top part <laughs> of my leg off. <laughs> and I suddenly realized this is when... Horses have no idea who I am, and this is something that's very special, and this is something that I really appreciate with my horses. All the horses in my stable, they do not know who I am and what I've done with my life. So therefore, they only ever treat me the way I treat them. But going back to the cup and carrying the cup down the down the straight, I was asked like a couple of days before, would I like to just – um uh like feel the weight of the cup and get the feeling of carrying and i said well like what is the weight and i think it's it was something like 2 kilos mm. i think and um i thought well look that's absolutely fine like 2 kilos i can i said well how do you want me to carry it and they said well look we'd like you to hold it up really high just well above your head and i thought well mm-hmm. that's fine i can i can manage that well i travelled about 150 metres on, Sam, with the cup held up high. And then all of a sudden I could feel how heavy this cup was and my hand just kept on getting lower and lower. So I decided, in my wisdom, to take my left hand, because I was carrying the cup in my right hand, to take it through to both my left hand through and just both hands hold it up well, I let go of the reins, didn't I? And with that, Sam, on the race course at Flemington, decided to increase his speed by about 150%. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought, no, I don't think this is a good idea because well, I was told that I should be trotting in a very, uh, very slow candor down, the, down the, the track of Flemington. So I had to take the other hand back onto the reins. But it was quite extraordinary. It was a very, very special moment. Again, very few people get the opportunity of doing that. Um, and I can remember riding into the mounting yard, giving it to Rod Fitzroy, who was the chairman at the, uh, the time. And yeah, like this was a, a very special occasion.
0: Yeah. I've had the privilege of holding the Melbourne cup because of my job over yes. the years, but every time I touch that trophy, I realise the significance of it and what it means to a lot of Australians and what that race means to a lot of Australians. I want to just ask you a question. You'd be aware of what happened at the Melbourne Cup and unfortunately we lost a horse in the Melbourne Cup this year Mm. and it caused a bit of an outcry and everyone's saying they don't have a feel for the horses, these people. They're just in it for the money. Now, you're in a perfect position to talk about the empathy and the love that you have Mm. for the animals and I've never seen a racing person who doesn't have that love and I'm sure you're probably the same.
1: Yes, look, uh, look. For for me to work with horses, and as I said uh, a minute ago, there is no horse in my stable that knows what I've done with my life. So they don't treat Andrew Hoy any differently from the way they treat anyone else. And when I work with a horse, the most important thing for me is to, first of all, get to know the horse's personality. The horse's personality is like Every person that you have in the work environment, every person is a different personality, has a different personality. It's the same with every horse. Every horse has a different personality. And so therefore, as an athlete and as a horse rider and a horse trainer – I have to get to know the personality of the horse for me able to work with the horse once I get to know the personality of the horse, I can then start to work with the ability of the horse and then you work out what the ability of the horse is. There is no person in this world that is physically able to make a horse do anything because my horses they're weighing between four hundred and eighty five kilos and 600 kilos that's the range that I work with I cannot physically make a horse do anything I have to work with the animals and there are horses that just absolutely love competition and love being in the environment of a, of a big atmosphere now with the with the racehorse trainers and also the jockeys Albeit that they're going out and they want to be successful with what they're what they're doing, it is so important that they have an understanding of the horse and how best for the horse to run and how it's going to suit the horse. What kind of tactics they have within the within the race, and for sure there have been losses of horses on the racetrack and for instance, for the Melbourne Cup, which is our highest profile race in Australia. And it is tragic for everyone involved. And I was only talking yesterday to uh, some people from Victorian Racing and in relation to the losses of horses um, in, in racing. And the thing is, I cannot make a comment as to whether someone is doing something particularly wrong until, <clears throat> for instance, if I was involved in um, a um, a study as to why there's the loss of um, horses, you have to have all the information as to what was what, how did the horse actually die. Well, I've known of horses to have an aneurysm where they just die from heart attack. There are people here in the streets of Melbourne that die from an aneurysm. There's... When you have a bone fracture with a horse, this can come about for so many different reasons. And I know that there there is investigations as to why... Animals have lost their life, and racehorses have lost lost their life on the on the racetrack. And with that, if there is a particular um, um, thing that they feel that um, there's been some kind of um, misunderstanding or mismanagement, I know that the trainers are spoken with, the jockeys are spoken with, in with a Around-the-table discussion, not pointing the finger, but around-the-table discussion saying, well, look, this is what has happened. This maybe could have been prevented if after the discussion that they knew what the training program was of the horse. There is no person that's involved in the racing industry that wants to see any loss of any animal. And so, therefore... (coughs) It's not that things are pushed under the carpet and things are not either made public or don't want to be talked about. Within the industry, they are talked about. Everyone is very much aware of it. And there's no person who's working in the industry that does not care for the animals as much as I would care for them. And, look, unfortunately, is a fact of life. We come into this world not determining when we come into this world and in many cases we do not determine when we depart this world and so albeit an incredibly sad when there is an accident we so often cannot determine when we when we depart as as humans and there are there are times when people do determine when they depart this this world but there's many cases when we as humans cannot. And I know in the equine industry, there is no person in the equine industry that does not care for the horses and all animals in, involved, That they are just abusing the horses.
0: Uh, I think you've... Uh... Said that very well, and I think you've uh, made the point that a lot of people have been trying to make about the fact that horse people feel the loss, and that was certainly the case with the Melbourne Cup. We'll take a break, Andrew. When we come back, we'll talk about your distinguished Olympic career, and I want to continue on with a point that you spoke about, talking about the horses not knowing that you are Andrew Hoy and that you've won three Olympic gold medals. We'll continue with that point when we come back on the other side of the break with the Olympic champion, Andrew Hoy, on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. What a pleasure it is to have Andrew Hoy as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Andrew, before we get on to your Olympic career, I just want to elaborate on the point you were making. You said the horse doesn't know you're a three-time Olympian, four-time world champion when you get on its back. How long would it take to know that you're an accomplished horseman? How long would it take that horse to know, say, if I got on its back compared to you getting on its back? What's the... What's the feel that you give a horse? Is it hands? Is it is it just the the general demeanour that you have to connect with the
1: horse? What is it? Everything in relation to riding is about feeling. And we only as a rider have our only communication skill is what we feel through our hands, what we feel with our legs, what we feel through our seat and also visual, what we actually see the horse doing. So therefore, there is a very clear structure, I feel, that to communicate with a horse, I say I only ever teach the horse four things. And this starts from the day the horse is broken in to saddle and someone being able to sit on the horse's back And those four things is to communicate to the horse to go forward, then to be able to turn right, turn left, and also stop. And if you try and keep it as simple as that, and you can get the feeling that you can get an understanding with the horse where you actually apply a pressure, such as the leg to go forward. So you apply the leg you must then also, as soon as the horse moves, you must or you get a reaction, you must release that pressure. And then if the horse slows down, you apply the leg again and then you release it. Whereas if you just do it up like a belt and have it tight, your legs wrapped around the horse tight, it may it the horse becomes numb to that pressure. Whereas if it feels a pressure, the it is equally as important to release the pressure as apply the pressure. When you want to turn, you apply the the indication to turn right by taking the, a little pressure on the horse's mouth to turn right and then also to turn left and also stop. But to educate the horse in a very simple term and right at the very start of its career, you apply it and then release, apply the pressure and release. And that's how the animals actually learn and the horses actually learn. Now, what you can do as the time goes on, you can start to bring these pressures together. For instance, the first time we learn to drive a car, we learn that the accelerator is to go forward. We learn to turn the steering wheel and to turn right, we take the right-hand side of the steering wheel down. We learn to turn left, we take the left-hand side of the steering wheel down. And then, but with taking the left-hand side down, you have to release the right-hand side. Then to stop, you actually apply your foot to the brake. So you apply your brake, and then you release the pressure. Apply the brake and release. But when you... And then when you're stationary, you don't keep pressing hard on the brake. You release it so that you're just holding the pressure. Now, this is, I feel in a way, a good way to explain what we do with a horse. But the difference between a car and a horse is the horse has also got a mind. And so, therefore, to work with the mind, it might change from today to tomorrow or the horse sees something. And so this is where it's visual. You have to see from the horse's ears as to what the ears are doing, as to whether they're pointing forward, whether they're pointing straight back at you, where there's a little turning to the right with the right ear or or a movement with the left ear. You get an indication as to then what the horse is thinking. But this is more the fine-tuning. This is where (coughs) I um, have the feeling and the empathy for this because it is my day job, is working with horses. Whereas if someone else comes along, they will apply pressures but then not release the pressures uh, the same as as I do. And, for instance, I really enjoy – Motor racing. And at one point in my life, I had my motor racing license and drove in a race. And albeit that I've driven in a race and I drive a vehicle every day, whether it be a a truck with the, with the horses on or whether I drive my car, you put me in a Formula One car, I wouldn't get it off the starting grid. Why? Because it's so finely tuned as to... How much throttle you, how much accelerator you use, the the changing of the gears and the steering, and so this is something. Albeit that I drive a car every day, I wouldn't get a, a Formula One car off the start grid. Albeit that I ride Formula One horses all the time, or I train my horses to the top end of their ability, there are many people that could sit on my horses and the horses wouldn't mm-hmm. um, do what I would, what they would like them to do.
0: One thing about your sport is that you have three distinct disciplines with what you do. Is it easy to find a horse that is good at all three, or do you find horses that are good at the cross-country, good at the dressage but might not jump well, and, and vice versa? How how hard
1: is it to find that perfect combination for all three events? <laughs> You you can spend a long time looking for that horse, but so much of it comes back to your ability to work with the horse. Now <clears throat> albeit that I have the ability, there are certain breeds and certain horses that you that you no matter, for instance, if I was to sit on a Clydesdale, That Clydesdale would not run cross-country and would not jump the fences the same as the horses that I sit on at the moment. Why? Because it's just not bred to do that. And so there are horses for courses, to use a phrase. Um, And I think that it is – it is difficult because the horse has to be able to mentally accept all of this. And so you, you need an animal that mentally can accept it and then physically accept it. And so there is a certain structure of horse that you, that you look for. And while I'm here in Australia, I'm doing some work with Victorian Racing for off-the-track thoroughbred program. And with that, the horses that finish their racing career – for whatever reason. Number one, because of their age. Number two, because they're not maybe not good enough. Number three, there's they've got to a certain point, but they can't go any further. Those horses that come from the racetrack, some of them are just unbelievably talented in other fields, such as the sport that I'm doing of, a, of eventing. But in doing that, what the the retrainers have to do and if I was to take a horse on, of which I have taken horses through to international level and to Olympic and World Championship level, you have to change the muscle memory. Now muscle memory is something that we develop over a period of time. And so when a horse comes from the racetrack, from the age of when it was first started being ridden to the finish of its career, it's only learnt a few things one is coming out of the stable walking out to the track going trotting for a short distance then going into canter and working somewhere between 60 and 100 percent of its pace and so therefore it's a very simple formula for the horses to understand they set up muscle memory for that when they finish their racing career to come into my sport they then have to change their muscle memory because they're not using speed, but they're using power. And so a speed muscle and a power muscle have a different action. And so therefore it becomes a a great skill to be able to do that. And there are horses that can absolutely step into that scene very easily. And there are others that mentally... They find it very difficult. But number one, you have to work them out. You have to work with the horse mentally. And what do I mean when I say work them out mentally? This is not a spiritual relationship. <laughs> this it's is a professional relationship. It's a professional relationship. Yeah. It's the same as being in the workplace and you're working with colleagues. Everyone's got a different personality. Some people get on better than others and they can work better together. Others, people just... They're loggerheads all the time and just cannot get on, albeit that they may have exactly the same skills. Mm.
0: We're just about out of time for this break, but I wanted to ask you one question. Of all the horses that you've done, all those things that you just spoke about, did you have a favourite?
1: Was Rutherglen the favourite? It's interesting. I've had some wonderful, wonderful horses in my career, and there is no horse that I have as a favourite because the I started international career 40 years ago. That horse started as my pony club horse, took me to two Olympic Games, two World Championships, one major events in Europe. That was a very special horse. I had what I describe now as zero knowledge. Now my knowledge is much greater and so I work with the horses in a much better manner and more educated manner. I, I think it would be wrong for me to single one out and say this has been my favourite. I promise that we're going to talk about the
0: Olympics, but we're going to have to do it on the other side of the break. It's a fascinating chat with the triple Olympic champion, Andrew Hoy, and there's more coming up on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It is a great pleasure to have Andrew Hoy as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Andrew, you've spoken a lot about the horses, the, those magnificent animals that you ride. But what about you, your Olympic career? I mentioned the fact that nobody, no Australian, has ever been to seven Olympic Games. Does that sit proudly with you, that achievement?
1: It's It does. But I think when I believe myself that I'm a kid that grew up in Culkin, southern New South Wales, on a farm, and I don't believe that I'm special with, with my ability. I have developed a skill that I just love, that I work incredibly hard at, continuing to enjoy and be continually improving. But I have only just started to realize that maybe what I have done is special. And I only realize that because people say to me, actually, it's really special what you've done. But you, I think for people or someone like myself, I have to um, be told that because I'm all the time working to improve. And if I became just confident, totally confident in what I'm doing. I just wouldn't appreciate the actual skill that's in there that's needed.
0: The Olympic journey started, as you said before, in Los Angeles for you. The first gold medal came in Barcelona, then Atlanta, then Sydney. Now, I know you're a father of one, but this question is a bit like asking a father of three or four or a mother of three or four, which one of your children you love the most. But Was
1: Sydney special because it was here? Was that the moment for you? Out of my Olympic experiences, and every Olympic Games is special and unique, but Sydney, for me, was so special. Number one, being part of the gold medal team. Number two, I rode in the individual competition and I won a silver medal. Both of those events were very special. But the thing that made... Sydney Olympics so special to me was the fact that I did it in front of my home crowd and there were many people, many volunteers at the equestrian event that I actually knew and they were equally as excited as I was to, to be part of the success. But the thing that um, in a way made it so clear to me that Sydney was so special was When I went back to Europe to continue with my sporting career, the number of people that said to me they were either at Sydney and they were watching all other sports, they were being there experiencing the moment, they said it was just so special. Uh, Those that watched it on television said it just looked absolutely fantastic. But I really feel the thing that made it so special was not just the performances of the athletes because at Olympic level, you will always get Olympic records broken and improved and there will always be a gold medal performance and a silver and a bronze medal performance. But the thing that is so special is the volunteers that were actually there to help all of the spectators move on through the venues whether they were waiting for a bus, not to become anxious, and I've just heard of so many wonderful stories. And I went to the London Olympics, which was also very special. Mm. And when I had the Australian uniform on in Sid- in London, the volunteers in London said, "We've been told that Sydney Olympics were the best because of the volunteers. We want to make this the absolute best, and it is the volunteers and all of the people that help." to put the whole event on that make it so special.
0: Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Sydney was special because of that vibe you were talking about and the volunteers and the fact that it was for us a home Olympics. London also had that vibe about it to me. It was it was probably a slow burn in London. The first few days, we didn't know how they were going to cope with it, but then that
1: atmosphere came that only an Olympic Games can provide. Absolutely, and it is just It is the biggest sporting event in the world and the biggest stage. And the people that are involved with Olympics, there are just some wonderful, wonderful moments that come out of that. And the one thing that I've realized with my life is it doesn't matter who you speak with in the community Everyone has their own story to tell of their own life and their their high moments, their low moments, their great achievements. And it is very special to hear all of those moments. And it's just my moments have been shown on the biggest sporting stage in the world. And, of course,
0: one last thing about Sydney was that great chant that actually went up. And it was uh, it's a chant that some people dislike immensely. It's a chant that a lot of people use, but they actually made a tailor-made version for you. What was it?
1: Aussie, 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 hoi, hoi, hoi. And like that (laughs) was just something very special. And you know what? That's the wonderful thing about my name. It doesn't matter what country you go to in the world, everyone can actually say it. Yes. Well,
0: I wonder whether they're going to be saying it in Tokyo. We're going to take our final break and then I'll come back and see whether seven might become eight, because I think the flame is still flickering while it's doing more welcome back to this is your sporting life with peter donnegan for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives it's been my pleasure to have the great olympic champion andrew hoy as my guest in the studio andrew i feel as though we've only touched the surface but we're just about on the way out of the program
1: i mentioned your achievement of seven will it be eight in tokyo It is definitely on the plan. When I say it's on the plan, I have the best horsepower, I believe, that I've ever had, best number of young horses coming on that I've ever had in my career, and that is something that's very special. I've just come back from world championships, um, riding in America like eight weeks ago, and there I actually finished fourth with a horse that has only just started his international career at the top level, and he's nine years of age. January 1 is the horse's birthday in the Northern Hemisphere. He will then become 10. And so he's got long jeopardy in the sport. He's an athlete. I'm an athlete. The important thing is that we stay sound. If we have the performances and we are both sound and healthy, I think there's a very strong chance I could be in Tokyo. I hope that we get to see you there. One last point. You've been in
0: this sport so long it began at an Olympic level in the 80s but it began before that what's the best part of the comparison of what life was like in the 80s compared to what it's life like now for Andrew Hoy as a an Olympic champion what are the differences that you like to embrace as it is now
1: Look, there's many things within the actual sporting world that have changed enormously in what I, the way I was riding in 1978 and the competition in 1978 through to the competition now. Through to the competition now, it is very much more horse-friendly. It is very much um, – everyone's very much aware of the welfare of the animal and, and rightly so but i think the the one thing that has changed so much is the way that people are much more aware of what i'm doing and that comes through social media and i wouldn't say i'm a great lover of social media but the my the way i reach out to people is and what the way people can watch me and see what i'm doing is through instagram insta live twitter That's just a form of communications. For instance, I had my daughter, Philippa, sitting on my shoulders while I was in Ireland in a competition. Um, I wasn't actually competing at the time. I was off the horse and in the stable area. And I just ran through the dressage test with my daughter sitting on my shoulders and just I was jumping around and she was laughing and just enjoying the moment. We put that out on Instagram and it got a viewing of 175,000 people within one hour of it going live. Like, just extraordinary.
0: Yeah, it is incredible. Well, maybe they might play that video uh, at the 2040 Olympic Games when Philippa Hoy perhaps wins herself a gold medal with the bloodlines that she's got. I reckon there's every chance she could be there one day. Andrew, it's been a privilege to have you in the studio. It's been a brilliant career. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Andrew Hoy on this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives, and we will have another very special sports person to talk with. Same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why Tire Power gives you the power of Zip Pay and Zip Money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 132191.